Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Career Journey Podcast. I'm your host, Brittany Avila. And on today's episode, we have Amanda Pollock, who is a writer and a book coach. And Amanda's story is fun and amazing. And it's really a story about getting out of your comfort zone and taking risks with your career. So Amanda started as an actress and realized that maybe that wasn't exactly the path. So she went back to school and became a food writer. And she took a chance on trying to get an internship at Cooking Light and got it and then took a lot more chances while she was there that even surprised her. And so we talk a lot about how to kind of overcome this fear, overcome anxiety, imposter syndrome, introvertedness even, all these different things to put yourself out there and take risks and take chances and how it really worked for Amanda's career. So without further ado, please enjoy Amanda Pollock. everyone, welcome to the Career Journey Podcast, where we explore exciting careers and how to get them from the people who flipped it. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Avila. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy. What's great about this podcast or what I think is great about this podcast is really it's just your story and your own advice. And so there's not really any prescriptive things. It's just... What do you want to talk about? What do you want to tell us? And how do you want to share your journey? I guess <laughs> I'm, I'm so excited. <laughs> All right. So with that, maybe I'll just ask where you got started. So what drew me to reaching out to you to be on this podcast was all the transitions that you've had and how you started in one place and then just seemingly without experience, but you can correct me if I'm wrong, jumped into something new and then transformed that into tons of different things. So let's kind of start at the beginning. You started with an acting and improv career. Yeah. So acting was always the thing ever since yeah. I was like three, if you would have asked me, I was like, <laughs> I'm moving to LA and I'm going to be a famous actress. Nice. See you later. Um, yeah, I was in, involved in theater. I was always writing my own plays, making my family members perform in my plays. <laughs> yeah. Um, we had very strict rehearsals. Everyone knew, like we had props, you knew oh. you needed to be in line. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I just, I had this very, very clear vision. Um, but the interesting thing is looking back now is that, what I was so focused on, I kind of wish that I would have eased up just a little yeah. bit, you know, but like the determination I think is like, it was very, very needed, but double edged so sword. I, yeah. You know, it was, um, I think too, I, I, I say that because it kind of became my identity. Okay. Like I felt like I'm Amanda. I'm the actress. I, that's, that's all that people are going to know me. And so I really kind of leaned into that identity, um, throughout the years. Cause I was like, well, now I don't know what else I would do. Yeah. Like I've been, well, I've been talking about this now. Like when I graduated from high school, I was like, 
been talking about this for however many years. <laughs> if I don't do it, like, what are people going to say? Right. Um, so I took about a year or so off, um, from that of just after school, trying to save up money to move to LA. I moved to LA the first time when I was 19 and I was only there for a few months. I did an acting intensive and I was just way too young to be living in LA <laughs> yeah. and just trying to start a career. And oh. I was so overwhelmed. I, um, I just remember feeling like, well, this is my only shot. This is the only time I've, I've been talking about this. I can't go home. And I remember the day I kind of realized I wasn't going to have enough money that I like actually something really big needed to change. And I probably needed to move home. And I felt so much shame in that. Yeah. And I'll never forget, um, my church down there, the pastor, there was a sermon where he was talking about Abraham Lincoln. And I'm probably getting some of these details <laughs> wrong, but that is fine. Um, but essentially how Lincoln had been running for office, you know, multiple years, I think maybe he won a couple, but it was, if you would look at him as a political candidate, you were probably like, failure. Probably he shouldn't, yeah. yeah, like a failure, he's probably not gonna be president, why would he even try? you know, did ran, 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 lost all of these. And then he won. And I just remember the pastor saying, um, you know, that's a case of knocking on the right door. It's just the wrong time. And that was like the day before I had to move back home. Okay. And I just remember feeling like this overwhelming set, like I just was crying and I was like, okay, so this is just the right thing. It's just the wrong time. So if I go home, I'm not like a failure. I might not be president, but I could be like Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> um, so the next couple of years, I kind of had, it was just, again, trying to save up money, figuring out the strategy to get back to LA. Um, and I did. And so once I got there, that's kind of where improv kicked in. I had some friends who I'd met my time before who were going to take classes at the Second City Hollywood. And I was like, oh, people tell me I'm funny. I should take some improv <laughs> classes. And so I, I took one class and then I ended up staying for three years. I graduated wow. from their entire program. I worked in the office. Like it was a huge part of my experience there. And I, I didn't set out to do that. And I think that's kind of when it, things started shifting for me that maybe like the one really straight path that I had could be branching out into different right. things. And that's what I love most about career stories is there's so many stories where it's something that you didn't set out for that transitions and changes everything or something that was just falls into your lap, kind of like the second city for you. And I, I just love that because it's, it mirrors at least my own experience too, where things just happen and you go with the flow and it changes your trajectory. And I think going with the flow is really important, um, especially when you feel like things just aren't connecting. So, yeah. um, you know, the big, the next big shift for me, um, which I think is probably the biggest, the, the point where I can just say that everything changed, yeah. um, was when I decided to go to college and okay. I'd been acting and I had, um, it was during the great recession and every job that you were applying to, like I had been doing temp work horrible. because it was horrible. 
I'd been doing like temp work as an actor and stuff and amongst other things. You're just answering phones at like a car, like, yep. a car dealer. you know, it, I mean, you would just get the call the day before and it's like, can that's when like on a resume having like a knowing how to work a multi-line phone system was like a big deal. Yeah. And so I was very proud to have that, but you had to have a college degree for every job. And then it was also like, you needed two years of executive assistant experience right. just to answer phones at a car dealership. So it, the wheels already were kind of turning of like, I should probably maybe make a shift because I don't know, I don't know what to do. Like, it seems like all the opportunities are tied to school. And so I decided to go to start taking classes. I had always wanted to get an English degree, but I just felt like I already started my journey. I can't go <laughs> back now. If right. I was going to go to college, I had to do it right after high school. And so silly. And so when I was started taking those classes, I was like, okay, well, what do I want to do? And then just something, and honestly, it kind of, it came out of nowhere seemingly, but I was like, I think I want to work at a national magazine. It was just like, <laughs> I think I just, yeah, sure. maybe that's the thing. And I started looking at internships and stuff. I wow. think I, I think some of it, I had looked at internships before and it was, you had to be in college. And yeah. so I think, so some of that might be a little, um, mixed around, but, um, but yeah. So then I was like, okay, that's what I'm going to school for that. I'm going to get a, an internship after this and I'm just going to work in magazines. And then, so that was the next <laughs> That went down. The next step. I love that. I love that a lot. Like, I like the idea that sometimes these inspirations come and we have no idea. There's probably some connection, like you were saying, you'd looked at it maybe before, maybe something, but sometimes we don't know what those connections are. And it just seems like, let's do this new thing. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think too, sometimes I know for myself, I've tried to make things make sense for everyone else when it only needs to make sense to you. Right. So, you know, like for me in that moment, it just felt like, okay, well, I've been writing my whole life. You know, I was obsessed with magazines. I, I, I firmly believe that if you know how to tell a story, it doesn't matter the medium, you know, like there were just things yep. that kind of made sense telling other people, I think they were like, what? <laughs> well, I'm really big on underlying threads that we don't know exist. And for yours, it really sounds like storytelling and helping um, throughout all of it is, I mean, you can tell a story through, like you said, any medium. And if you were already writing, like you were writing plays when you wanted to be an actress, same thing in a different way, right? So storytelling is probably that underlying thread. <laughs> 100%. And, and I think that's kind of why, so once I, um, I, the school I transferred to, um, it was Mills College in Oakland and they actually had used to have a magazine writing, I would, I'd say program, but there was, we had one woman who ran the journalism <laughs> department and she used to, she was this former senior editor at Mother Jones, had a lot of magazine experience. So she had courses that were just specifically for magazines. And I was like, you know, cause I'm from Northern California. Perfect. So I was like, I get to, I can move home and I can take these classes and this is so great. And 
I started, you have to have clips, you know, it, examples of your work if you want to get any kind of internship. So I'm thinking long game. And I remember we had us um, in class, we started having to pitch, you know, story ideas all of mine, I had no idea. Most of these people wanted to do like hard news stories <laughs> and stuff. And like, I love reading investigative journalism and watching movies on it. But I was like, don't want to um, do it. <laughs> I just can, I just talk about food. Um, can I, and I honestly, I, I worked at Whole Foods. So, and I, I grew up on um, right next to Napa and Sonoma. So I guess, you know, food is just kind of ingrained. Yeah. But the stories that I was pitching were just all food related and I didn't realize it. I just love to eat. And I was like, this just seems like it would work. It's easy. All of a sudden, like that's all I'm writing. I got an internship with the food magazine in the Bay area. And then another one, um, it was lifestyle, but most of the stuff I was writing were like roundups of restaurants and then cut to, I had applied to a one-year fellowship with Time Inc. Um, uh, RIP. Um, they were bought out <laughs> a few years ago, but they used to have this, they have a one-year fellowship in Birmingham, Alabama. So you apply and you get placed at um, one of the, their four publications. So it was either Cooking Light, Southern Living, uh, Coastal Living, uh, or Oxmoor, um, which was their publishing arm okay. in all of the cookbooks. And random, like to me, it felt random, but I was very intentional all like about a year and a half before I applied for that fellowship. I saw it and I was like, this is the only thing I want. And that's when kind of like the universe, God, whatever you believe, don't <laughs> believe in. Um, I got a phone call and she, this woman, Liz Rhodes, she was like, Hey, this is, you know, I'm, my name is Liz. I'm the production manager for Cooking Light. I just wanted to call so we can schedule an interview. And I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> like, it's really happening? Wow. The next day we have this interview for like an hour and 15 minutes. We were talking and she's like, yeah, so I would just really love to offer you the job. Right there on um, the spot? That's awesome. on, the, on the spot. <laughs> and she's like, I have to tell HR what I did, but um." Yeah, I would love for you to come. And the funny thing is, is that she had asked for, I wasn't even the top candidate, but she needed someone who had food writing experience. Right. Everyone else just had like magazine experience, but she needed someone who specifically had that experience. So I think that she said she went to HR like three to four times asking for more resumes. And I just think about this though. Timing is so important. Yeah. So if I hadn't have been delayed with certain things, if I, you know, <laughs> had started college earlier or later or whatever, any of those things, it just wouldn't have happened. Right. So, or if you hadn't followed your own instinct to write about food instead of investigative journalism. Yes. <laughs> I would have been really terrible. I would not be good at those secret emails and stuff in the middle of the night. I'm like, excuse me, I'm leaving. Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh. So then what happened after that? So then that probably changed everything. So you go, did you move to Birmingham, Alabama? Like I totally did. I other did part of the move. country. I, um, so I got that. So this is another thing that I just want to share. I feel like there's so many times where you're waiting for something to happen. 
and it, you, you just feel like you're spinning your wheels and you see other people, you know, getting jobs or, you know, having the life that you think that you want. And then all of a sudden stuff for you will happen just so quickly. So I had been rejected for a bunch of other, um, I had been going on interviews and stuff right before I got the fellowship at cooking light. And then when I got that call, I looked at the timeline. I was like, well, crap, I have to be there in four weeks. (laughs) And I was, you know, I was graduating college. I actually had a trip to New York and Maine schedule. Like I, it just, it blew me away how much I was just looking at my, what was coming up. And I was like, Oh gosh, I'm just such a loser. Nobody wants me. And then all of a sudden it's just one call kind of changes everything. But yeah, I moved to moved to Birmingham. Um, and it was kind of neat because I want to say there's like 30 fellows, 30 people and you all are, well, yeah, ish, maybe more. (laughs) Um, but there was, you know, a big, a class of us, um, coming Mm -hmm. in. And so you each, um, you're assigned to either editorial digital, or you worked in the test kitchens. So, um, Birmingham was actually the food hub, um, for a lot of time Inc content. So, when I was there, it was neat because they had developed the timing food studios, which had 28 test kitchens, 13 photo bays. And then, so they were developing and testing and shooting, um, photography, um, recipes for 11 lifestyle brands. So I kind of got to be there at a really exciting time, but, but yeah, so the, the beautiful thing about that though, was that it was choose your own adventure. So they really encouraged you when you came that, if I was assigned as editorial, so, mm-hmm. you know, I was just helping editors. I had to get the mail. Um, I would write some for the blog, you know, it kind of takes a little bit of time to build up, but if you had any interest in anything else, they wanted you just to say, Hey, I want to work in the test kitchen for today. Hey, I want to be on a photo shoot. And I it took me so long to get there. I fully took advantage. That's awesome. Of all of that. <laughs> I think that's another big piece of my advice is to take advantage of everything. Cause I, that's what I regret most about my college career is that I didn't take advantage of all the stuff, the clubs, the organizations, the internships, the networking, the everything. I didn't do enough of that. So taking advantage, especially an opportunity like that, that doesn't come around very often either. That's amazing. Yeah. And you know, to your point, like I, something that I didn't understand when I was living in LA and I was acting and I just remember people used to talk about your network yeah, and how important your network <laughs> is and your connections. And I was like, I don't understand. Cause to me, it always felt like some really high up executive in a corner office. I got to get to that person. Yeah. But I think you miss all of the people around you. Exactly. Like, you have no idea who and, your friends, teachers know. And those are going to become more important because once you're in the field, once you're a little bit more senior, those people that you're working with, so that cohort of like 30 people you were mentioning is going to end up being more impactful because they're going to be in those leadership positions or they're going to be in the jobs. And you don't know who's going to call and say, hey, I remember you from this one internship. I need somebody like that. And just what you're saying, I had the same thing. I was focusing on like the higher ups and I'm like, totally missed everybody that was at like the same level until 
almost, it was too late, but it's never too late. Um, and now I focus like all around the board, you need sure the higher ups, the lower than you as well, the equal to you everywhere. Totally agree. (laughs) I love that. Oh, 100%. Like I remember, um, so of, a few years ago, I was even um, do, still doing some work for some magazines in the Bay Area, and one of the new editors came on, and she was like, "Hey, we actually were interns um, years ago. Do you remember me?" And I was like, "Well, there you go. Like, you just yeah. never—I just didn't think never I was know. Gonna see her again." <laughs> um, but yeah, so with the fellowship, you know, I—I I think because it's a year long. And there is, there could be the potential that you would get hired on after, but you don't know. So I was like, oh, I'm making the most of this year. <laughs> so they told me, I mean, so the, the idea at Time Inc. was that good ideas come from everywhere. And so you were really encouraged to knock on anyone's door, email anyone. And I'm talking like C-suite people. They nice. did not care. They, and so I was like, okay, well, I will. So I asked for meetings with people who at other companies, it might've been like, "Mm, no, they're, they're too high up. Um, I would just email people my ideas. Uh, I remember there was one editor of time magazine who came and did a town hall and she said, yeah, you know, please reach out. If you ever have pitches, please let me know center something 30 minutes later. (laughs) And you know, but just, but take advantage of those things because a lot of times people do want to help, Yeah, but people just don't ask and they're too afraid. So, you know, knock on the door. Absolutely. That's one of the things I think took me the longest to realize was how many people want to help and how many people are like nice, I guess. I think I had a more skeptical view of the world where it was like, nobody wants to help me. I'm young. I'm, I'm immature. I have no idea what I'm doing. Like, sure. They're not going to waste their time on me. And so many people not only will, but want to, and it's just, it's fascinating how we kind of get in that imposter syndrome. And we're like, there's no way, but there really is (laughs) at least most of the time. And honestly, the people that don't want to, you probably don't want them around anyway. (laughs) Oh, so true. And like, you know, I, I was even impressed with some of the people in my class, like they were so innovative and knew so many things about social and video and they just had all it, they were just oozing with ideas. And so it was a good reminder for me too of, okay, we, we all have, how can I also champion other people's stuff? And I think that when I was trying to help others, it kind of helped me and, you know, because thinking long game though, like I knew all of these people were going to be amazing. Like right. if we all, if we all want to succeed, let's all succeed together. And so I think that was probably the thing that was my biggest advantage in some ways. And I also, uh, if I'm going to give people advice to just make the coffee, deliver the mail, <laughs> do whatever, because so delivering mail was one of my main duties and yeah. anyone else might've looked at it, you know, like oh, I have to beneath me, <laughs> it's, it's beneath me. Like that's so, why would I ever want to do that? So, but me delivering the mail, I was in offices that I never would have been in. Cause right. I have to 
I would have to knock on your door. I'd have to give you your thing. So a lot of these senior editors, they get sent stuff all the time. A lot of times they'd be like, do you just want to hang around and see like what I got? You know, and then they'd ask me about my day, what stories I was working on. I got assigned a lot of stories I never would have gotten assigned. Um, really started creating connections with people. And honestly, if you can do the small things well, then you're going to be given larger things. So like right. our editor in chief, you know, there were times like I delivered the mail. He started kind of giving me small things or I'd have an email from him when I would come in and he's like, I need you to pick up lunch today. There's a bunch of editors from Real Simple who are coming down. Can you, you know, get this, 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 and this, you know? And so I was very prompt. I had all of this stuff, you know, whatever. And so these seemingly small things though, to other people, if you can do them well and you show up with a good attitude, that's going to make the difference when they have like larger projects they need help on. Well, and I think an aspect of that is also putting yourself out there, like you said, taking advantage of those times where they invite you in, or maybe even inserting yourself a little bit and trying to get out of your comfort zone. Cause I am an introvert and I am just a scaredy cat in general. It's, it's gotten better as I've gotten older, but it was so hard for me to do that when I was young. And even still sometimes now where like, now I have to hold myself accountable. Like I, I, tell my extroverted husband, my goals so that he can like shame me if I don't do it. But I missed out on a lot of opportunities in those same, like I was good and I showed up and I did those things, but I didn't really put myself out there or, you know, like you said, have like a good kind of attitude or something around it that kind of gets your foot in the door. So I think also do those things, do them well, and then take the advantage of those little tiny foot in the door type of things that you can get into. Cause I think sometimes I got too scared. And even though I could see what opportunity was there, I would be too scared to take it. Um, and that's another regret I have of like, I wish I would have just, you know, gotten in there and done it anyway, no matter how scared I was. Yes. Well, so also I am a huge introvert and I'm just very like, and a lot of performers are right. Um, we're just so, good at masking. It. I'm just very good at masking, <laughs> but you know, I think that I also saw a lot of mistakes I made when I was acting mm-hmm. because I, there were so many opportunities that I just bungled because right. I was too afraid. I thought, no, if I do that, if, you know, I, um, so for instance, I'll just give you a, for instance, I, I had a friend who was like, oh, there's this, they're casting for, I don't remember what it was. You need to drop off your headshot at this casting agency. And I just remember like walking in, my palms were just so sweaty. It's just your headshot, your resume. Like it's not, (laughs) I wasn't even auditioning. And I come into this room of just beautiful people. And I mean, there's beautiful people everywhere, but I just like walked in and there were all of these women. And I just felt like everybody was looking at me and I was like, Nope. And I walked, (laughs) I just kept walking like through the the room and then like found an exit out the back and went down some random stairs and then had to pretend that like I came out the front. So my friend, and I don't even know what I did with the headshot. And so, oh my gosh. yeah, so there's definitely things that I learned when I was, you know, younger, but oh. we all do it, you know, like I, 
I love that story. I have so many stories exactly the same of like moments where I would like want to raise my hand or want to approach somebody. And like, I'd be, I'd get all confident and I'd be like, I'm going to approach this person. And then I'd start walking and then I would see them like talking to somebody else. And I would just like walk right past pretending that like that was my initial intention. And so many times I've bungled opportunities and different things because I was scared and it's hard, but you got to put yourself out there. Yeah. Because you never know. Like I think being a little bit afraid sometimes is really good. And so if you feel really comfortable, then start doing something different. And, um, and that's kind of what I did towards the end of my Uh, maybe about halfway through my fellowship at cooking light. Um, a lot of people, we were really shifting to video. And so I'd been, you know, I was a performer done a lot of video, just kind of started grabbing some of the people in the video department. And I was like, Hey, do you want to shoot some product stuff? Cause you know, magazines would get sent all kinds of products. And it's like, well, how can we film this? So people would want to watch it or, you know, readers would be interested besides just like buy this water bottle. (laughs) Um, so I started experimenting with that and got to know, um, some of the people in the video department. And one was the executive producer and we just started a relationship, you know, um, he'd started seeing some of the videos I was doing. And, and then, um, we had this fellowship, like, project and you would get put into a group and you had to create a video with your people. And it was like, I think there was like an award thing for it or whatever. And I just remember when I was in there, I was just like, no, I got to do my (laughs) own thing. Like I just, I just remember, I just had this strong sense. And then I don't know, like, where I felt also like the audacity, you know, <laughs> just to be like, no, I'm tapping out of this like thing that everyone is doing. And I'm right. just, gonna... and so I had, um, from a story that I had gotten delivering mail, um, it was like a celebrity fridge thing, like five, what's inside five celebrity fridges. And one of the, um, celebrities he had, um, just recently been on the bachelorette was like the winner. And so I pitched, I was like, oh, um, what if I went up to, um, his name was Sean Booth and he lived in Nashville with his then fiance. And I was like, well, like, what if we came up and he was very into fitness and healthy eating. And I was like, well, what if we came up and shot like a video series, um, with you, mind you, I just <laughs> like, I never produced anything. I only been on camera and I was just like, no, like I, I'm going to do a whole series. Not even just like one video. I was like, right. this is going to be like five videos. Um, and so he agreed and I was like, okay, I got to really? figure out how to do this. Like, and you know, if you have in, if you have something in your email signature that says you work at a certain place, sometimes like you get away with a lot. Right. <laughs> And, um, my, uh, editor in chief, I, Hunter Lewis, he was like, he's just amazing. And so I remember I like knocked on his door. I was like, Hey, so I'm going to do this thing. Is that okay? And he's like, (laughs) yeah, that's great. And then it was, it ended up that I didn't have to do the group project that I could just do my own. And so, yeah, that was like the first really big thing. But I remember like, preparing for it. And there was something too, that kicked in where it was like, no, like 
Amanda, you know how to do this. It, because producing for people who don't know, it's really just project management, right? You're just, you're, you're setting up things for a video shoot. What do you need? Who's going to be there? What time, you know, there are, there's, there's things you have to think through, but I had my camera guy who had been working with like, and it was amazing and it was amazing. And so, um, so yeah, I think that that was another instance where sometimes it's like, no, I'm gonna be a little bit difficult. And I'm just gonna (laughs) say that I'm not gonna do this thing. But that's where most people get the success stories. Like you don't really get success stories all the time from like touting the line. Like you've got to break free at least a little bit in some ways. It doesn't have to be huge and gigantic, but at least somehow just having the guts to do something different. (laughs) Yeah. And, and I think too, having a reason why, like, you know, it's not just, so I remember, you know, my, my pitch really was, Hey, I know there's this thing going on, but I have this opportunity. Would it be okay if I used my own project as, you know, I, I don't need, it's fine if I don't win an award or like whatever. And, um, when, you know, I got the approval, that was awesome. And I just remember we, um, all had to go into the, there was like this theater that they showed all the videos in and like mine, what they were like, well, this is like a separate thing that Amanda Pollack did and blah, blah, blah. I just remember my editor, Hunter, he like turned around and he was just so excited (laughs) about this video thing. (laughs) Like, and so, um, I would say that towards that, the end of that, I really gained some confidence too, in finding my voice in Mm -hmm. knowing too, like, I have so many skills. We all have so many skills and they're transferable way more than you think. Way more than you think. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I think that's like one of the biggest misconceptions. Absolutely. Especially now in industries where people don't stay very long in one thing, even it used to be that they just didn't stay in like one job. Now people aren't staying in the same career or the same industry. And so it's really important to like constantly evaluate what your skills are, what you've learned and how you can transform that. I was just telling students today, it's all in how you can tell the story. Like, why do you exactly what you did? Why do it? why am I the best one for this? Why do my skills apply to this? How does this relate to what you're doing? Can get you through a lot, can get you a lot of opportunities. 100%. And there's going to be people who don't get it. And that's fine because there's also going to be a lot of people who do. Right. And you don't have to like lead, you know, along, but, but yeah. And then after that, um, you know, I mean, the biggest thing with with this whole, you know, this year that I had um, in my fellowship, I really wanted something at the end of it. And once I was getting closer to the end, I didn't know what was going to happen. Actually, it was kind of, I was in the same, pretty much the same situation I was the year before interviewing for a lot of jobs. People were really excited, um, you know, about me and then just nothing would happen. Um, But I did have a couple of um, job offers and that were all outside of Birmingham. And I just remember this like overwhelming feeling of like, you can't take those jobs, which is when you hear it. And also it was like, no, but like, you need a job. Like, what are you going to do after? But I was like, 
no, I'm just going to wait. I remember I put in my, my notice for my apartment. Um, I went to the video studio and I was like, they were like my last hope. I was like, um, do you guys have any jobs? Like what's happening? <laughs> like, you know, you've seen my work and the executive producer was like, oh my gosh, like I really wish, but we just don't have anything. And I was like, okay, well, I think I'm moving to Nashville because Birmingham doesn't have anything. He's like, no, absolutely. I'll give you some contacts, blah, blah, blah. So I was like, okay, so I'm moving. See you later. I'll figure it out. The very next week, exactly one week later, it was like 9 a.m. I get a call from that executive producer, Mike. And he's like, hey, Amanda, so this opportunity just came up. Um, <laughs> and it was right when Facebook Live had started. And so Facebook was working with a lot of media companies to really kind of promote and push the usage, the usage of Facebook Live. He's like, we need a Facebook Live producer. And you're actually the only person like who Done would be good for similar. the job. He was like, you're, he goes, honestly, you're the only person who could do it. Cause you have live, ex like live performance experience. You have production experience now, which I was like, Oh, I do. Oh, okay. <laughs> Cause you told me that I do, but I just didn't know what I was doing. Before. Yeah. And, um, yeah, he's like, okay, so great. So I think that I'm, um, we'll start in like a week, but just, you know, come, come by my office and we'll talk. And I was like, this job that didn't exist a week ago Did now, now exists and I'm the only person who can do it. Well, and what I love about that is if you hadn't gone and one trusted your intuition that you didn't want the other job. So again, something I try to make people aware of is not taking necessarily the jobs you don't want just because you have one. And obviously there's some privilege that goes into that ability, but being able to, to trust your intuition and then being able to go to where you want to be and ask. And I've heard a lot of stories of people that do just that, that just ask for what they want. And then even if it's not there now, it could be there later. And people will remember that you have asked. Oh, totally. Like there's no shame in asking what opportunities are open or like saying that you would really love to work with someone. Yeah. That's like the biggest compliment. <laughs> it really is. But we get so caught, you know, of like, oh, that'd be so embarrassing if they don't have a thing. Have anything, well, yeah. You, if you don't ask then they're not going to have anything anyway. So, right. um, but yeah, so from there that, um, I was a one woman department running for, um, running Facebook, producing Facebook live for four brands and doing like 40 live segments a month. Um, wow. <laughs> it was so much fun. I mean the, and it really kind of melded just so many different things that I loved, you know, I still got to work with food because we did a lot of food videos and, yeah. but then I really got to transform it because we had a certain number of segments we had to do a month. So I was acting as if like a morning television segment producer. So you're just always looking for stuff. So I ended up being like, okay, so how do I get people in here? Oh, well, I know that a lot of chefs are friends with all of these editors and they love all these brands. Let's call their PR companies. And so I already knew some of them. And so I created this thing, which my boss named and I was like, sure. Um, we called it the, the timing, um, studios, food media junket, very long. Um, 
but essentially I would bring in, I would have a chef or someone come in and they would do maybe like a studio video, like a recipe video with Southern living. Then they're going to go and do a Facebook live with uh, cooking light. Then they're going to do an Instagram live and do an interview with coastal living. Then we have a couple of, like, I would just set up all of these segments back to back and it was probably, it was some of the most fulfilling work I've ever done. I think because I was creating it right, and I got to take ownership and, and really spearhead something. And, um, I, I think that that's also worth, um, the not knowing a lot of things and, you know, feeling for so long, like, what am I doing? <laughs> well, and one thing I caught in there too, is this idea of experience. We expect that our experience has to be like us totally knowing what we're doing. But a lot of your experience was you fumbling around trying to figure out what you were doing. And we forget how impactful that experience is. Like nobody starts out knowing what we're doing. People higher up in their careers still don't have any idea what they're doing sometimes. So being able to transition that and realize, okay, I do have experience, even if it doesn't feel like I'm good enough to claim it. You are, even if you're fumbling through it and trying to figure it out, you're still experiencing that. I have that a lot with undergraduates in college who are like, I don't have anything to put on my resume. And I was like, then what have you been doing for four years? You've been doing something. You've been developing skills. Translate that into something you can put on there. Yeah. And also I really learned that I actually don't have to know everything. Yes. That's a good lesson to learn. I mean, I, even when I, when I was living in LA and I was acting, I, I always wanted to, um, also like direct and stuff. I think a lot of those things are just very fluid, but I was like, Oh, but I don't know how to operate a camera. I don't know how to do whatever. Guess what? And there are also people who you can hire. And so, and it's their job (laughs) and, and it is. And, and that's the beautiful thing. And so when I started the, you know, producing Facebook live, it was like, okay, but there's guys in the video studio, like some of them, they've actually produced award-winning documentaries. Let me just ask them some tips or have them come film or do whatever. People want to help. That's another thing is that you don't actually have to know everything, um, but you just kind of learn who to ask. Well, that sounds a lot like the job of a producer is to kind of, like you said, project manage, you figure out kind of what needs to go on, but then you figure out how to delegate that out to people that know more than you. Cause you can't do all of it. Yes. 100%. <laughs> and, and I think two people are so much more forgiving than you think. And right. also everyone else is just like learning. Yeah. We're pretending that we know what we're doing, but we actually don't. I think that was the biggest thing for me in understanding like imposter syndrome was I started to figure out cause I started to talk to more people about it. And I realized that all of us feel that way. Like we all feel like we're faking it till we make it. And I would talk to people that had like 30, 40, 50 year careers, successful ones. And they were like, I still have imposter syndrome. I still feel like all of this is just going to like collapse one day because people are going to figure out I had no idea what I was doing. And I think that was the biggest thing for helping my imposter syndrome. Cause I was just like, okay, if somebody this successful that has had a career for that long 
still feels it, then we're all just destined. We can't get rid of it. <laughs> we're just stuck with it forever. And it made me feel better because I was like, well, now I can live with it yeah. because I know I'm not probably not an actual imposter. And if I am, then figure something else out, I guess. <laughs> and you'll, you'll figure it out. Like, I think that something I would say is like, trust yourself. Like when you don't know, I had an improv teacher who, you know, in improv, I mean, you just get thrown everything, cultural references that you may never know. Like there's, there's all kinds of things. And so I used to be really nervous that I would get up on stage and someone would be talking about like something politically, or I don't know that I just had no idea about. And I was like, that everyone would know I'm just, you know, terrible. (laughs) And I, I had a, a teacher who said, it's okay to not know something once, but don't not know it twice. And I think that that's just a really beautiful thing, even in your own career where it's like, no, it's okay to ask a question or say, oh, I'm not familiar with that or whatever. But then afterwards, go look it up, do some research, right. make yourself familiar with it. That's the fastest way to learn and not feel so insecure. And it's so easy to find that information now. It's like, if you don't know something, go look it up. I feel like as an educator, I spend most of my time trying to teach students how to Google stuff. Cause I'm like, this is all you need to learn. If you can learn one thing, learn how to look it up and look at, learn how to look it up accurately. <laughs> That's it. Oh yes. You don't even have to go to the library anymore. Really. You do you not. Know? I mean, go to the library. I love the library, but you know, Google it. That's actually what my journalism yeah. professor said. She's like, listen, if you don't know anything, there's this beautiful thing called Google. Seriously. I literally, the other day students were, I was like, you can ask me anything. And I was like, and if I don't know it, I'll teach you how to Google it. Cause we'll do that on the computer right here, right together. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, it's the hidden secret of everybody who has a career is we just like, I literally Google stuff before I go and teach it. Cause I'm like, what was this concept again? I forgot. Oh, I Google it. Oh, okay. Now I can teach it. And my students probably have no idea that I just had to Google it right before or look it up in the book again. Cause I can't remember everything all the time. And I wish, I wish we knew that a little bit more that like people that we see either standing up in front of a classroom or on TV or writing in a book or giving an interview they have time to prepare that ahead of time. And then especially right before they can go over notes, they can Google something right before they don't know that stuff all the time. Like you could ask me stuff I teach about when I'm not teaching. And I might be like, ah, oh, I forget. Let me like go back. And it's like, I know this stuff very well. Obviously I teach it every semester Yeah, and I still sometimes forget. And I think I wish we knew more that like everybody's doing that to some extent. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, you know, cause now in my current work with my business, like, um, as a book coach, like I'll have a client who asks me something just about like the publishing process or whatever. And, you know, I'll say, I'm like, yeah, that's a good question. Let me get back to you, you know, and whatever. And then I, afterwards, I'm like, I knew that. Um, but, but I do tell clients, I'm like, listen, like if I don't know something, I'll definitely find it out. And I will always follow up and be like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize this was, you know, whatever, but and most people aren't offended. <laughs> and it's totally okay to say that you don't know. Like I say it in class all the time and I've never had students be like, you're a bad professor because you don't know what you're talking about. Most of them appreciate that I'm not just making crap up. 
to appear smarter or something. I'm just like, you know what? I don't know. And a lot of times I make them look it up so that they get the experience Googling. And I'm like, you tell me. Um. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. Because also too, I have appreciated as I've gotten older, people who can just say, I never read that book. Right. I don't know what that is because I've also been the person in a class to say, yes, I read Slaughterhouse Five. And the professor, of course, was like, so Amanda, what did you think about it? And I was like, I don't know. (laughs) I'm going to pass out right here. My hands are so sweaty. I don't know. I I can't even remember how I got out of it. And then right then, right there, I was like, never again. Right. (laughs) So I know we're coming up a little bit on time. So I wanted to talk about what you're doing now. So now you do, I think still writing and you do you're a book coach. What exactly do you do for that? Yeah. So I am a book coach for food folks. So I coach, um, people in the food space through the book writing process. So, um, it is cookbooks, uh, food memoir and a little bit of fiction. Um, but yeah, so I've kind of, um, taken all of the things that I've loved editing, writing, um, even the film production stuff. I feel like that storytelling kind of comes into it and, and started book coaching, um, within the last couple of years. Um, I have just always been really, um, driven by this mission of like connecting people to their best stories. Right. And since I started working in food, I've fallen in love with the people who write those stories. And I also want to help, um, people get their stories out. I, when I was in college, I was an editor and I got a lot of really good feedback from those writers just saying how supportive I was. And, and I, being a writer also, I know how important a good editor emotional support <laughs> is. And so you really um, should be like co-authored. <laughs> I mean, it's, um, yeah, I, I just, the doors just kind of opened. It just felt like it made sense. And so um, so yeah, so that's what I'm doing now. And just to be honest, like I feel so aligned nice, in the work that I'm doing. And awesome. I think all of those things, you know, even just like with the video production, um, that project management and I was kind of my own, I had my own business in a big company. It felt like, right. and that really prepared me for everything that I'm doing now where it's like, I don't know. Let's figure it out. Let's call someone who does know let's Google. Well, and all those Um, decisions that you have to make, you got practice doing. Yeah. And feeling confident too, that you actually can't really mess things up that bad. (laughs) Like you'll fix it. Right. Like it'll be fine. It's going to be okay. (laughs) I think that's another hard lesson. Like I think imposter syndrome really tells us that we're going to like fail unbelievably and be like front page news failure. Like, how could you ever let this happen? And most of us that never happens, like we're not working with like nuclear technology where that failure is a big deal. Um, obviously some, some fields do, but not mine. (laughs) No. And, and also too, I I think something to like, just to remember is even if you have those personal failures, or even if you have those times where you feel like you really messed something up, you know, I've learned that 
the people who can own their stuff. So when you own that you messed up where, you know, like you, you don't skirt around anything, you'll get so much further right. in your career and life and stuff. And so I think that just knowing that, that, you know, don't try to pretend like oh, it wasn't me, I didn't, whatever people are, yeah. they're going to be more receptive when it's like my bad. I totally messed that up. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> because nobody wants to work with someone who's like, it's never my fault. You know, I, I didn't do it. And it's like, because what are you going to say when well, someone's like, I messed up? Right. And that, and sometimes when you try to backpedal or fix it, you make it worse. Yeah. Um, I know early on in my career, there was an instance where I tried to do that because I didn't want anyone to know I messed up and I just started making things worse. And I think that was my aha moment of like, nope, I'm just going to start telling people I messed up. I'm going to ask them for their help and I'm going to see where I can go from here because I don't want to make it even worse. (laughs) (laughs) I wish I knew that when a lot sooner, but it's good to know it at all. So many lessons I wish I knew sooner. So, so many. Um, So my last question is usually just what, if you could boil down everything that you've learned into one piece of advice for people, what would be that biggest piece of advice you'd give? Yeah, I would say that just adjust your expectations, you know, and be okay with the pivot. Like, I... I know for myself that there were times where I was just really hard on myself and I needed, I felt like I needed to be at this certain level. My life needed to be this linear thing. And the truth is, is that we all have our own journey and it's not going to look the same. And so we can't expect to have the same results as someone else who's lived a different life. They had, you know, a different upbringing, different influences, whatever. And so, you know, just be open to that pivot when things don't feel aligned, like just listen to yourself and, and let yourself take that new step. Um, I know that there were a lot of times where I was just very caught on how life really should be. And it was only when I just like released that, that even better things came. Right. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you, Brittany. It was so awesome. And, um, thank you everyone for listening. Thank you for listening to the career journey podcast. Head over to our website at careerjourneypodcast.com for more information and the latest episodes. See you next time.